Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe and Naren and Fergal Armstrong. In the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we're going to talk a bit more about smoking cessation interventions, and in particular, the role of counselling and behavioural therapies in smoking cessation. So Fergal, can you tell us a bit more about some of the counselling options available for smoking cessation and how effective some of these therapies may be? Yeah, it's there's a lot of there's a lot said about counselling, and I think um, the danger is that people overcomplicate it, and as a result, they may feel that they're not qualified to deliver smoking cessation counselling. So, I think you go back to basic principles and you talk about motivational interviewing and the cycle of change. So, if you go back to motivational interviewing, you're asking patients about how they feel in, in, in terms of the importance of smoking cessation, how confident they feel in terms of smoking cessation. You're asking them about the impediments that they've got to smoking cessation. You're asking them if they're pre-contemplated or contemplated, and you're trying to elicit change talk. And then once they're preparing for smoking cessation, then you're going into more CBT rather than motivational interviewing, and you're talking about antecedents, behaviors, and consequences, and you're talking about the challenges that they might face, and you're problem-solving with them. And so really the cycle of change, early phases, motivational interviewing, the latter phases, CBT. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that, and anyone can do it. And there is evidence that actually this does work. I mean, so the Cochrane Review uh, find that individual counseling could improve the chance of someone quitting beyond the unassisted quit rate by up to 40 to 80% compared to minimal support. So we've got a huge treatment effect here. Absolutely. Yeah. So taking the time to actually give people counseling and talk to them a little bit more than just a bit of a brief intervention, but talking to them, talking them around that cycle of change really does have health benefits. Absolutely. Now, moving on from some of those counselling techniques that you've just mentioned, Fergal, onto some of the pharmacotherapies that we sometimes use for smoking cessation, I guess we could probably Mm. branch them into two separate headings, which would be nicotine replacement therapy and then veranicline and bupropion. I guess you could do three in the, if you really wanted to go down the vaping pathway, but that's an episode or a few episodes in and of itself, which we will probably discuss <laughs> later on. But yeah. the ease of purpose for this episode, we'll just be talking about nicotine replacement therapy and varenicline and bupropion. With regards to nicotine yeah. replacement therapy, there's long-acting and short-acting nicotine replacement therapy, long-acting being the transdermal patches and short-acting being the various um, oral preparations, whether it be gum or lozenge. What's your approach to nicotine replacement therapy or initiating nicotine replacement therapy for a patient? So I say to patients, I'll give them whatever it takes to get them off the fags, and I always start with offering them you know, nicotine replacement therapy. And I offer nicotine replacement therapy because we know that, again, from Cochrane reviews, we know that Cochrane reviews validate the use of nicotine replacement therapy. And in particular, they validate the use of combination nicotine replacement therapy. And that that was a big shift for me because when I was younger and starting out in my medical career, I used to say, oh, once you're on the patch, you can't have anything else. Well, that's just not true. We know that people who are on patches do benefit from augmentation with short-acting nicotine replacement therapy as well as the long-acting nicotine. So if we're talking about NRT, I think the first thing to do is to work out what kind of dose they want. 
And really, you know, there's this idea that you can use high dose uh, nicotine replacement therapy for people on more than 20 cigarettes a day. And I, I actually feel that anyone who's dependent on cigarettes, anyone who's smoking more than 10 a day and, you know, smoking within an hour or so of waking up really probably just needs to go straight on high dose cigarettes, uh, sorry, high dose nicotine replacement therapy patches. And I encourage the use of short acting to help with cravings. And I'm happy for them to have whatever they want. There are, there are theoretical uh, maximums in terms of prescribing short acting nicotine replacement therapy. Um, but like, like for instance, I mean, you know, the, the, the lozenges theoretically, the maximum dose of a lozenge is 80 milligrams a day. But quite frankly, I take this view. If it's the difference between someone smoking and not smoking, I don't care how much nicotine replacement therapy they take if it keeps them off the cigarettes. And I think it's really important for them to have multiple types of nicotine uh, replacement therapy, so they can, uh, short acting, so they can try the gums, they can try the tablets, the lozenges, they can try the inhalators, they can try the sprays, as well as having the patches. So they can have a wide range of short acting plus on top their, their topical NRT. Absolutely. And just to add on to what you've just said, I also tell my patients, especially with the short acting oral preparations, and that's whether it's the gum, the lozenge, or the inhalator mm. or spray, all of the oral stuff is mainly buccally absorbed. So especially when it's the gum, I tell them to use that chew and park uh, technique, which is chew it, keep it in your mouth, do not swallow it, because once you swallow it, the effect of NRT is not going to be available. So just to make sure that uh, the patient knows how these medications work and that they're not just um, popping a lot of NRT and then quickly swallowing them because it will have no effect if, if that occurs. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's some concern still among some of our colleagues about the, the, the risks of NRT. And people allude to the safety profile of NRT, especially in people with unstable cardiovascular disease. Um, I mean, there are, you know, if you look at the side effects of, of NRT, they will state that, you know, you do have the risk of insulin resistance. You do have the risk of accelerated atherogenesis and you do have the risks of vasoconstriction, vasoconstriction. But at the end of the day, there has been, you know, there were, there were randomized control trials that were looking at this issue and there's been no evidence of an increased elevation in the risk of any coronary cardiac or, or vascular event. And I think it's really important. Again, it goes back to harm minimization. Would you rather have someone taking high-dose NRT, albeit that they also have unstable heart disease, or would you rather have them smoke? And any day of the week, I'd rather have them have the NRT, even when they've got unstable heart disease, because the, the risks of smoking and the dangers associated with the smoking are so vast. I, I totally agree, Fergal. And we do know that in, say, stable ischemic heart disease, NRT yeah. is safe, and you're alluding yeah. to unstable uh, heart disease there. And usually yeah. the guidelines I've seen vary from uh, NRT is not recommended between two to six weeks post a, a, a cardi cardiovascular event. However, yeah. like you mentioned, I would much rather a patient be on NRT than resume smoking with all the carcinogens mm. and all the pathology associated with cigarettes. So if we're talking about harm reduction here, I, I agree with you, Fergal, a total no-brainer for me. I would much rather a patient mm. be on NRT and and as long as there's informed yeah. consent provided, um, I think mm. uh, it's certainly the lesser of two evils in, in many respects. In all respects, I would argue. Now, going on to varenicline, um, so varenicline is one of the uh, tablet medications we use to aid in smoking cessation. 
It's a partial agonist of the alpha-4 beta-2 nicotine receptor, and it helps to reduce cravings for, for cigarettes and reduce the rewarding effects of smoking. What's your approach with varenicline, Fergal? Well, I actually use it uh, first line. Uh, if, uh, if, if people are, are happy to accept the, the side effect profile, that's the, the one drug that I will say, look, let's start off with Shampix. What I say is that it doesn't stop people from smoking. What it does is it changes people from being smokers to non-smokers, and that takes time. I mean, you've, you've got basically talking about a 12-week course, and you have, you know, the first few days you've got an escalating dose, but fundamentally you're on one milligram twice a day for about 12 weeks. The biggest problem I have with people on varenicline is that they don't finish the course. So I have to emphasize you have to finish the course, and then you can consider yourself as treated. And actually, some people, especially very heavy, heavily dependent smokers, they actually need two courses. So then they might need six months worth of Shampix to, to, you know, to really you know, get them away from the cigarettes. The other thing is that people worry about having to set a quit date. And I say, actually, with Shampix, yes, you, you know, the recommendation is that you set a quit date two weeks into the, into the course. But you know, if you don't want to set that quit date, that's fine. I mean, I've, I've had a couple of cases of people who... who um, have not been able to set quit dates until they've hit the second full course of Shampix, so basically 13, 14 weeks. Yes, they've reduced, but they haven't actually managed to cut to, to quit completely. So again, what I'm saying is there needs to be a certain amount of flexibility in, in prescribing uh, varenicline. You need to be aware of the guidelines. You need to be aware of the risk factors uh, and, and the side effects, and, and in particular, the nausea and the loss of appetite and the vivid dreams. These can be quite off-putting. What's your take on varenicline? I find it quite useful. It's certainly the medication I use more than, say, bupropion, for example. The yeah. thing that I struggled with initially when I was a general practitioner was the warnings or the concerns about the neuropsychiatric side effects of varenicline. And yeah. if someone had unstable depression, anxiety, or unstable mental health diagnoses, it, it was when I was training, it was viewed as an absolute contraindication for commencing varenicline. However, there have been more recent studies which have shown that this is not necessarily accurate. So nowadays, I counsel my patients. I still offer it to, to patients. I do state that sometimes there can be a bit of mood disturbance, but that requires just closer monitoring and review rather than not offering it to patients. Is that similar to your practice, Virgil? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I too remember the days when I would refuse to give varenicline to someone with a history of depression or suicidal ideation or schizophrenia. There's a couple of things to say about that. I mean, the key landmark trial that basically exonerated varenicline in this regard was the Eagles study, and it demonstrated there was no increase uh, in, in psychiatric events due to that could be attributed to varenicline. So really what I think of this as it's the act of smoking cessation and it's the stress associated with smoking cessation that causes all of this decompensation. So I think it and I think it's safe to use varenicline in, in people with mental health disorders. But that doesn't mean you, you are absolved from the clinical duty of care to actually watch your patient and monitor their mental state. You still have to watch them. And you know there have been uh, there have been documented reports of patients being told to go back on the cigarettes, 
because of such a deterioration in their mental state. But remember, it's not due to the varenicline, it's due to the stress of smoking cessation that would have happened with any medication. But really, the EAGLES trial exonerated varenicline and Zyban, for that matter, from being guilty of any decompensation of mental state. And really, that's a great outcome for us, because remember, let's not forget, varenicline is the most effective smoking cessation intervention that we have. It, 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 it is associated with a 30% quit rate. And remember that the unassisted quit rate is about 5%. The NRT quit rate doubles by about 10%. But really, varenicline, you're looking at a 30% quit rate, which is the best we've got. And that also alludes to the fact that really, not everyone will, will quit with varenicline and not everyone will quit with varenicline on the first time. So it's always worth a second go. Absolutely. What's your view on varenicline and NRT? Yeah, I, I give it. I, I'll, I'll happily combine the two. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not specifically recommended. I don't think the guidelines recommend it, but I don't see a reason why not. And I am aware that there is, there is evidence, uh, studies have been published that actually combination of NRT and varenicline actually increases the, quit, the successful quit rate. So yeah, it's, 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 I'm happy to, to, to prescribe both. Excellent. That's similar to my practice as well, to be honest. The last medication yeah. I think we were going to talk about is bupropion, which is the other tablet medication that we uh, prescribe for smoking cessation, commonly known as Zyban in Australia. It's an antidepressant yeah. that is thought to, to work by uh, affecting the reuptake of noradrenaline and, and dopamine. What's your mm. thoughts and experiences with uh, bupropion, Fergal? I haven't really used it that much. Um, I've used it in a couple of patients more recently because actually in, uh, currently in Australia, there's a shortage of, uh, of uh, Shampix. But, you know, it, it, it is validated as an intervention. It's got a good evidence base. It, it's supported by the Cochrane Review, and it's also supported by the Eagle Study, so it's safe and effective. It's not as effective as Shampix, but it's better than, um, than it, it does have benefits above the unassisted quit rate. Um, uh, there's, there's a couple of concerns that I've had people uh, mention. Some people are worried about the risk of hypertension. Some people are worried about the risk of seizures. So, you know, I don't believe that hypertension is a reason to exclude someone from smoking cessation. So if you're worried about their blood pressure, well, treat their blood pressure, you know, check it and treat it. And, you know, be, it, it is an antidepressant. It's an NDRI. It does have a seizure risk, but it's no worse than the seizure risk associated with uh, um, uh, citalopram. So, for instance, it's one of the citalopram has a seizure risk of one in a thousand. So too is Shampix, and actually there is evidence that most SSRIs at therapeutic doses are actually uh, anti-seizure in that they increase the seizure threshold. So you know, you, you know, every tablet that you have has a risk. So there is a risk of seizures with bupropion, but it's manageable like any other risk or using any other antidepressant. At the end of the day, it is an antidepressant. And it does have a good safety profile, and it is used extensively, certainly in other countries, for uh, the for its antidepressant effect. I haven't used Zyban as an antidepressant in Australia. Have you? Not as an antidepressant, no. Uh, no. So it's strange that, isn't it? It's licensed for smoking cessation, but its mechanism of action is basically as an antidepressant. It it is interesting. Yeah, we don't we don't use it. It is interesting, yeah. but as as uh, good and rational prescribers, we follow our relevant state and uh, government <laughs> regulations in terms of the indications we use uh, yeah. our medications. And we and we never actually deviate from those guidelines ever. Do we? <laughs> never. <laughs> 
Now, before we before we close, I do think it's important actually to mention one other drug that can be used uh, in smoking cessation that is an antidepressant that is licensed for depression in Australia, and that is nortriptyline. Have you ever used nortriptyline for smoking cessation? I can't say that I have. I've heard of some other prescribers using it um, to, to good effect, actually, I must admit. But personally, I haven't yeah. delved into it myself. Have you had much experience with nortriptyline, Fergal? I've never used it. Um, but, you know, I, I, like you, I've heard good stories about it. And the evidence suggests that it does have a role in smoking cessation. It's very much second line. So, you know, you've tried the NRT, you've tried the Champix program. Let's try nortriptyline. And I think it's important to emphasize that its smoking cessation effect is actually separate from its antidepressant effect. So, yes, we use nortriptyline. Well, I actually use nortriptyline, nortriptyline now for chronic pain rather than depression because of the, the, the risk of overdose and death with nortriptyline. So you wouldn't want to give someone who's really suicidal nortriptyline. So I tend to use it more for pain. But yes, it, it, it has an independent smoking cessation action. And again, you know, you want to get up to about 75 milligrams and you want to give it for about, uh, you know, 10 to 12 weeks. And it does actually increase the abstinence rate from uh, from, un, from unassisted by, by 10%. So, you know, it it, it is... It has got a, a, a evidence base for it, and it, it is efficacious in this regard. But I've never used it. Excellent. So in the episode of Cracking Addiction today, we've covered quite a bit of information. We've talked about behavioral interventions in smoking cessation. We've talked about nicotine replacement therapy, varenicline, bupropion, and nortriptyline to aid our patients in smoking cessation. Thanks for your attention in joining us for this episode of Cracking Addiction. And bye for now.